1: Ironic that last week I started talking about Josh Hader's ranking in the MLB Top 100 Prospect List via MLB Pipeline because we're actually going to talk a little bit about Josh Hader later on in the show today. Uh, but that was episode number 57 where Josh checked in, and welcome into episode number 58 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I'm Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra in New York City. Hey Sam, I was just a week ahead of time in uh, in podcast convergence.
2: Yeah, I don't want to say you uh, planted any seeds in last week's tool shed, but you may well, have. You know, uh, You may have planted some ideas. The things I I do, I
1: inadvertently stumble upon things that can be productive. (laughs) It's my calling in life. Uh, so hey, it is episode number 58. Welcome into the show. We've got uh, a whole lot to get to. Let's get started right away with three strikes. Before we get to it, uh, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or RSS feeds, wherever you find your podcast and find us there. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription. Uh, you can follow the show before the show podcast that way. You can also follow us at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon and minor league baseball. You can find at MILB as well. You can also email the podcast. Podcast podcast at MILB.com. We actually have an emailed uh, slash tweeted question that we're going to get to a little bit later on in three strikes today. But let's get started with the big news of the week. And I'll quote from Danny Wilde's story at MILB.com. Quote, top Royals prospect Raul Mondesi was suspended 50 games Tuesday after testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance, an incident the team called, quote, an innocent mistake. Montesi, 20 years old last season made his major league debut in the world series first player to do that uh but sam this is a big one and it doesn't fall under the same sort of category as a lot of these other suspensions because raul modesty actually was able to get his suspension reduced on appeal uh give us the kind of the parameters of this whole story
2: yeah so there's there's a lot of different things that kind of go into it um first off you know Mondesi was officially suspended by Major League Baseball because he's a member of the 40-man roster. Um, so that's not your typical Meyer League suspension story that we write. You know, it seems like every Friday. Um, so it, he, he was tested positive for this substance called clenbuterol. And clenbuterol under the Major League Baseball Joint Drug Prevention and Treatment Program is considered a banned performance-enhancing substance. Um, so once you test positive for that, it's an automatic eighty-game ban. You're allowed to appeal that, which is what Mondesi did through the Major League play- Major League Baseball Players Association. And in that appeal, which he
1: process- has access to uh, as being a, man, a member of the forty-man roster, exactly. Yeah, right. So, so that's, that's an important thing to point out.
2: Right, minor league players who have not yet um, play, you know, gotten the spot on a forty-man roster or played in a major league game don't right. get access to that MLBPA um, appeals help, I guess. Um, so he had that help and he, he showed the league essentially that clenbuterol, the thing he tested positive for is found in, a, in cold medicine in the Dominican Republic. It's, um, you know, it's just an ingredient in there. Um, so he says, you know, there's no proof technically that he ingested this cold medicine, but, um, you know, he's been in the Dominican Republic. I believe he's from there. Um, so he said, you know, it's in the, in this, um that's where i got it from you know it was not anything meant to be performance enhancing it's just to clear up a cold that's all it was major league baseball accepted that reasoning and under you know the joint drug prevention and treatment program they can reduce his uh reduce his suspension and it can't be any fewer than 40 games once you test positive for that substance because even though You know, He didn't mean to enhance his performance. He still took a drug, um, even accidentally, that he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't careful with it. So they knock it down from 80 games to 50 games. And um, it also means because he was able to get it down, um, the reduced suspension came because MLB found that he had no significant fault or negligence. It also takes off what would have been a ban throughout the playoffs, um, which would have been interesting because, as we know, Mondesi made his – Uh, major league debut last year during the world series so if the royals were to make the playoffs again this year he could certainly factor into their plans Um, and that if he had normally tested positive for a PED he would have been automatically out for the playoffs that won't be the case with him he will be eligible um, once he does return so this is really sad obviously just because it is a top royals prospect Um, it is a little different in that it could be you know it was if it's just in medicine it's just in medicine it's an honest mistake but um you know it's still something that he's going to have to carry around for the rest of his career
1: Clenbuterol, by the way, this, according to Danny's story as well, has been used as a decongestant for people with chronic breathing disorders like asthma, although it's considered a performance and answer by Major League Baseball and the International Olympic Committee. Former reliever Guillermo Mota was suspended for 50 games for using clenbuterol in 2006 and then suspended another 100 games for using the substance in 2012. So there are reasons behind that. Uh, I think it speaks to the larger issue, which is. Right now, we've heard a bit more. Obviously, the D. Gordon story was out there uh, earlier on this month that there was immediate hand-wringing of, oh, well, there are still guys who are using substances. This means the program isn't working. I think it means the program is working. When guys are found uh, to be violating rules, They're being subject to the punishment for those rules. Now, in the circumstance with modesty, you know, being able to prove, no, this was in a medication, it was over the counter, I didn't do this in a way to, you know, try to enhance my performance. That's a much different situation, but the rules are the rules, and the rules are. If it's in your system, you're responsible for it, knowing or unknowingly, you are responsible for it. So uh, a tough break for the Kansas City Royals top prospect, but uh, that's the way the system goes. And, you know, I think it does show that it's uh, the system is there for exactly these sorts of reasons. And the appeal system is there for exactly these sorts of situations.
2: Yeah, exactly. The, the, it seemed like this was a perfect example of the system working. Um, and, you know, the, there's been a, I think you said hand wringing um, over, you know, what major league baseball has to do. And everybody's saying, if you test positive once, you should be automatically banned. Well, what happens in, uh, issues like this, when it's just something that's not necessarily for performance enhancing, it is something that can be proven a mistake through an appeals process. So this is why everything is set up the way it is. Um, you know, it, it doesn't, the program didn't mean that, Mondesi was as careful as he should have been. That's why he's being banned for 50 games. He's paying his, his uh, penance. He's getting his penalty. And uh, that's that's the way this should work. And I think it's it's a good use of the system, um, just an unfortunate one.
1: By the way, um, there was a correction, I believe, on – I want to say this is on Deadspin, but I could be wrong on that. Um, but where they had to point out that Raul Mondesi is not Raul Mondesi Jr., Yes. The top Royals prospect is Raul Adalberto Mondesi, uh, Raul A. Mondesi. Raul Mondesi Jr. is his brother, both sons of the former big leaguer Raul Mondesi. But Raul Mondesi Jr. was a raised prospect who has not played in the minors since 2012. So uh, in case you hear anybody saying, oh, do you hear Raul Mondesi Jr., not actually accurate. Not true. Um, so strange but uh strange but true strange things but true things um, let's move along sam this is an interesting one the uh the international league obviously plays a very long schedule the triple a uh circuit that is headquartered mostly on the east coast with east coast teams and a little bit spread throughout the upper midwest um and some all the way down as we will hear from benjamin hill in just a little bit into the carolinas like the the durham bulls uh but the international league will be moving away from its 144-game schedule over the next couple of seasons. This year, IL teams play 144 games in 152 days, But at the urging of Major League Baseball and MLB Farm Directors, the league will move to a 142-game schedule next year. And in 2018 and beyond, they'll be reduced to a 140-game schedule, which brings in four more off days over the course of a 152-day season. Uh, And that's big. And there is a really good story in uh, the Virginian Pilot online by David Hall, who's a phenomenal writer who's covered minor league baseball for a very long time. Uh, That is it doesn't sound like a lot, but four extra off days is huge over the course of a minor league season.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot of good quotes in that story as well. I know one was about Christian Walker where he just talks about, you know, how they really just flush themselves mentally on off days. And when you're only having eight off days uh, you know, over an entire summer and a little bit of the spring and a little bit of the fall. I mean, these guys don't get weekends off as everybody knows that's when games happen. Um, so imagine just getting eight days off from any job you have over that span. Obviously, they have the off season to make that up. But um, when they're expected to be at peak performance and they're based on, you know, they're viewed on how they play um, during those 144 games over that sh- such a short span of time, um, the additional time off uh, should be a big help for not only, you know, the players themselves, but the organizations that are, you know, the the that they play for and that's why you see farm directors getting involved with this. Um, we should all I should also point out uh, that that story was in the Virginia pilot. There was also another story in terms of the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Pawtucket Times by ben, Brendan McGare that came out earlier this month on a similar subject. Um, so a lot of these teams are kind of preparing for this. Um, we'll have to talk to Ben about this a little later. Um, as this comes up, you know, looking forward to the 2017 and 2018 seasons. Um, but the te- the things, the organizations that are particularly hurt by this are the AAA teams themselves, the IL teams themselves. Um, you know, these are teams that are losing two home games next year and then two home games after that. Um, so that means, you know, that's lost revenue, that's lost, you know, gate, that's lost uh, concessions, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, they're going to have to swallow it and that's just the way things work, but they're, this is not a wholly positive thing for international league people, although it certainly is for the players, and I think that's generally where our focus is.
1: IL President Randy Mobley told PilotOnline.com quote, well, when you stop and think that the league is made up of owners and this eliminates opportunities for them to open the gates and sell tickets, yeah, it's not something that you necessarily do with a lot of enthusiasm, but one way or another you can go kicking or screaming or you can just simply go, so we're just going to simply go with it. Um, I mean, that is definitely the big issue on the business side of it for the teams. On the player side, the on-field side, this is a very welcome development. Um what is going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Now this is uh because of the 98 expansion, the then Devil Rays and the Diamondbacks, uh again according to David Hall's story, quote, under MLB rules full season minor leagues must play 140 games. Since the IL became a 14 team league in 1997, Farm directors have made an exception to allow for a more balanced schedule. That was after the dissolution of the American Association. They split everybody up into two AAA leagues. So the league's uh, schedule has been kind of stretched out to that 144-game slate, so it could be a little bit more evenly balanced. But that exception now is being pulled. But it's interesting to note, and this is what I was going to say, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on, that similar exceptions are in play in the Pacific Coast League at AAA and the Eastern League in AA. So if those leagues also decide to move away from their schedule, and maybe tighten things up a little bit and add some more rest in for their guys. Uh, keep an eye on that, too.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll have to see, you know, what kind of domino effect this is going to have. Um, this is the first, you know, we've heard about it with a league kind of rolling back. And uh, we'll have to see if other leagues kind of give this careful consideration as well. Strike three this week,
1: we head to the Milwaukee Brewers system as promised and talk about left-hander Josh Hader, who has been a very, very effective starting pitcher throughout his career. Remember the double-A Biloxi Shuckers so far this season. Josh Hader, the 22-year-old out of Millersville, Maryland, an 0-1 record and a 0.94 ERA through six games. He struck out 40. 40- and walked 11 in 28 and two thirds. Opponents are batting 200 against him, and he's got a whip of 1.08. Pretty good, pretty good. But the Brewers' number four prospect for a long time, everybody said, this kid's ticketed for the bullpen. And, uh, Sam, you took a long-length article look at Josh Hader and how successful he's been at a starter and came to the conclusion maybe not.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, it seems like the Brewers really believe in him as, an, as a starter. And I don't mean that in terms of, you know, a lot of times we talk about guys like Hayter and it's, yeah, we're going to try him out for a starter as long as we can. And then we'll uh, we'll move him to the pen when we need to, you know, when he proves he can't uh, be a starter anymore or we just decide that's where his best, um, you know, his best option is. It uh, kind of reminds me of Tony Singrani with the Reds. Uh for years, he was a really, really good starter at the lower levels, a left hander as well uh and everybody's like, "Well, he's probably going to be in the bullpen and then you know he finally hit triple a, had some problems, and then they just turned him into a reliever at the major league level. I think he's looking at being their closer now uh hater's a little bit of a different story um if you watch him pitch he he's awfully fun to watch in that he sets himself up along the first base side of the rubber so he's already very very close to left-handed batters and he's got a little bit of a sidewind you know sidearm delivery to him um plus his back is a little bit turned to the the plate so if you're a left-hander you're not seeing that ball at all until it comes out of his hand and his fastball is incredibly good you know it's certainly plus um sitting in the mid 90s so he's just burying that inside against you and when i wrote the story um i told him you know left-handers don't have a hit against you yet through five starts and he just kind of laughed. He's like, I, I didn't know that. Um, I hope that's not, you know, I hope that stays like that for a while. I don't want to jinx anything. So as I was interviewing him, I knocked on wood just to be safe. And thankfully in his sixth start, he didn't allow a hit against left-handers either. Um, I think he's faced 23 so far this season. And he struck out 10 of them without allowing a hit and only allowing one walk. So that, that's what gives the people confidence. To think that he could be a very good left-handed reliever, just guy who could come in and get any left-hander out. Um, but he's handling right-handers pretty well too. He's holding them to a 247 average. He struck out 30 right-handers and 21 in the third innings against just right-handers, so he can get those guys out as well. Uh both Hayter himself and his pitching coach talked about the improvement in his changeup. Uh, you read a lot of reports of him coming into the season and they were saying, you know, it's the pretty much the fastball and slider. He's got the, those on lock. If he can develop a changeup, he'll become a really good starter. Um, and talking to him, talking to the pitching coach, they both say the changeup seems to be there. It's coming out of the same slot as a fastball. He's certainly not tipping the pitch anymore. Um, if you go to the store, you can see him record a strikeout on what is a changeup. He just gets a P- Pensacola Blue Wahoo just sitting there right on his front foot and just diving for a changeup that's going right into the ground. Um, it was It's really cool to see how that played itself out after talking to those guys. Um, so if Hader can show that he can even get right handers out, you know, who gets to see the ball a little extra longer coming out of his hand, uh, you know, he has that potential to be a, a mid rotation, if not, you know, number two starter um, given just his package of pitches, his general stuff. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it'll be exciting to see him. Uh, if he becomes a reliever, he has a very cha- a very good chance of being a very, very good one. Um, but what he's showing right now back in Biloxi, you know, in what is his first full season in the Brewers system after coming over from the Astros and the Carlos Gomez trade last year. Um He's looking like a starter, and that, that should send his stock rising when we see uh, prospect lists update, you know, as the season goes along.
1: So head on to MILB.com right now. You can check out Toolshed and uh, learn all about Josh Hader and his uh – uh pretty ridiculous start of the 2016 season and a whole lot more. And uh, we're going to stick in one more topic here with three strikes. We got a really good question tweeted to us uh, from one of our earliest fans of the show before the show podcast, John, who submitted this one to me and Sam quote, I'm noticing more defensive shifts at the double A games I've been to this year versus last year. Is it happening across double A? He continued in a subsequent tweet quotes. Do teams have better data or just shifting more with the same data? I don't see it at low slash high A games that I've been to. It's a great question there is a considerable amount more of uh both video and statistical data available for the upper minors and there are a lot of reasons that go into that but mostly the technology that you see that brings you MILD tv that brings you game day all that kind of stuff That's been in place in the upper minors for longer. So whether it's track man stuff or pitch effects or all of that, it's been there for years now, uh, comparatively to what you see in the lower minors. And also it's mandated at the upper minors in a lot of organizations, whereas in the lower minors, it's not necessarily because the investment, uh, is something that you want to see with guys who are closer to the big leagues. So it's my understanding that that's the reason behind it, that teams have started implementing that stuff in the upper minors. I had a really interesting conversation with, uh, Colorado Rockies first baseman, Benjamin Paulson, the other day, uh, about what it's like practicing shifts now versus what it used to be where you go out, take your grounders, take infield, whatever. He said, and this is at the Major League level, but he said the Rockies now will work on stuff uh, in their in their workouts defensively where DJ LeMahieu, the Rocky second baseman, will be trying to turn double plays from where he's stationed in the outfield during a shift. Nolan Arenado is practicing his footwork around the bag to turn double plays. He's a third baseman, but turning double plays at second, taking a feed. You're starting to see that stuff migrate down to the minors for similar reasons because they know that that is really going to be something guys have to understand going forward um, especially if you make it to the big leagues because it's used so heavily there but what it is predicated on is the fact that a lot of that data is available for the upper minors in a much more wide-ranging sense than it is at the lower minor league levels
2: yeah you kind of pointed out what was going to be my point is that it's it is very much just a trickle-down effect um, when it comes to this stuff where we've obviously seen the uh, shift revolution coming and you know at the, at the upper levels it really is about getting ready for the majors at that point. you know, it, It's still about player development, but they want you to be ready when you get that call to the major league level right from the off. They don't want you trying to learn what a shift is like, uh, playing in a shift, playing against a shift, uh, that kind of stuff. They want you to have that experience already You know, by the time you make that jump. So teams are going to be using that data that they have better at those upper levels, um, relying on more than just scouting reports. Um, to to pr- let these guys practice what they're going to be doing in the majors.
1: So thanks to John for tweeting that question into us. Uh, you can do the same. If you got a question, something you saw in a game you want to see explained a little bit closer, um, send it our way. I'm at Tyler Mon. Sam is at Sam Dykstra. M I L B on Twitter, or you can email the podcast podcast at milb dot com as well. We'll do our best to explain all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, the other day the Bakersfield Blaze. Had a reliever who was ejected from a game apparently for not moving his uh, lawn chair, which was down the the line in the bullpen. He was asked by umpires to move it because they didn't like where it was. He didn't. Got tossed. Um, Peter O'Brien of the, uh, the Reno Aces was listed in the lineup card as the first baseman the other day. A... Uh, Another player in the Reno lineup who was actually the first baseman went out to first. Uh, Peter O'Brien, who was the designated hitter, was then not allowed to be the designated hitter because the umpires ruled that that was a substitution. So Reno lost the uh, the DH for the rest of the day. So there's all (laughs) kinds of crazy stuff that happens in minor league games. So if you see stuff in Albuquerque, yeah, and Al Albuquerque, Al Albuquerque
2: pitched against Albuquerque. Uh, Finally, finally that happened.
1: Yeah. All right, (laughs) move along. Segment number two today. We are headed on the road to the Carolinas. Benjamin Hill will join us. His first road trip has arrived for the 2016 season. We're going to talk with Ben about where he's been and where he's headed coming up next. Hit the road for a conversation with Benjamin Hill for the first time in 2016. Ben is on the road and joins us from beautiful uh, State Highway 501 in South Carolina. Ben, what's going on?
3: Uh, not much guys. Um, yeah, I'm on 501, not the most pleasant road to drive on, but it's a very pleasant day here in in South Carolina. And, um, I was a little late in getting in touch with you because I I got a very, I guess you'd call it a late lunch at a Mexican place. And then there's a beef jerky outlet, like basically in the next shopping center over. And I was like, well, I got to go in the beef jerky outlet. And then this dude just like followed me around the whole time. I was like, have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried this? <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll try this. And I went in there thinking I'd spend like six bucks and I'd spend almost 50 bucks oh, on wow. a beef jerky. I got vodka, Bloody Mary beef jerky. Okay. I got peppercorn smoked turkey. That's kind of a vanilla under the under the circumstances. I got the Reaper hot beef jerky. Okay. I got a roasted garlic. That was very good. I got jalapeno chips.
2: Ooh, Okay, I can do that.
3: I got whiskey whiskey cordials, because when I drink whiskey, I'm always cordial. Yeah, um, same. A kangaroo stick. Wow. And uh, and crickets, salt and vinegar crickets.
1: Actual crickets?
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Huh, have you tried them?
3: No, I haven't, man. Okay. If this was a video podcast, I'd bust them out right now. Yeah, and, just uh, pop them in right watch now. Watch it go down. I can't, and, I can't uh, so imagine
2: uh, crickets sound good on the uh, podcast, though.
3: Yeah, it'd be like a, a live punch. or dead form. No, no. And we're used to having crickets on the podcast. I was going to say, after all, to all of my dope.
1: jokes to uh, conclude segments, I think that's what we have normally.
3: Yeah. It, like it, that yeah. one right there. Yeah. But hey, was, but let me uh, plug the beef jerky outlet. Okay. I guess I'm in Con- Conway, South Carolina. The
1: home of the uh, Coastal Carolina Clears.
3: Yeah, there you go. Um, and they, uh, for being such a good customer, they gave me a bumper sticker that says PETA. And that stands for uh, people eating tasty animals, of course.
1: Yep. That is one of those good uh, those good old southern jokes. Um, that area, if you want to find an outlet for anything, that area is your spot for an outlet for anything. But beef jerky, uh, that's like the – it's a perfect road
3: trip snack.
1: You're not worried at all that it came from an outlet?
3: <laughs> um, i got bigger things to worry about right now. But actually, <laughs> I do eat a good amount of beef jerky, not in my day-to-day life, but on the road for sure. Yeah. Because – I'm often kind of in a time crunch or I'm in a car and uh I can just kind of rip open a bag and you know get some protein and so there is a practical purpose to all this not that I really should have spent all that money but I got caught up in the experience. It is a
1: um it's a perfect road trip food. It's uh it's very durable. Um so That lets you know perfectly Ben is on the road. Ben is in currently South Carolina, started this road trip in North Carolina, the first trip of the 2016 season. And first up, we'll talk about your visit to the Greensboro Grasshoppers. Uh, I got a chance to actually check out Greensboro last year. That ballpark is really, really cool. I also won like a 10-pound bag of niece's sausage that I never picked up because uh, I didn't have any way of transporting it back home. But uh, they got a really good thing going on in Greensboro. That is a really, really cool ballpark in a cool town.
3: Yeah. Nice ballpark. I, I had a little bit of time in the town because I got in, uh, the night before the game itself. Uh, it was miserable weather when I got in, but then, uh, by Thursday evening it turned into a beautiful evening in South Carolina. And, uh, you get the Greensboro skyline to the extent that Greensboro has a skyline you know, in the back of uh, the stadium above right field. And, um, seemed like, uh, like one of those cities that's, you know, maybe still finding itself in terms of its 21st century identity, a lot of construction going on and, uh, Seemed like some pockets of cool things um, in the margins popping up there. And uh, I was happy to be there in a beautiful ballpark. And I I did witness the Nieces sausage race. And I didn't win any, but uh, I did see those Nieces racing sausages. And um, I can't remember who won, but I think it was Extra Sage.
1: Did you notice, uh, Ben, by the way, that in the team shop in Greensboro, they sell Levi's? Did you happen to notice that? Uh, it's not uh, Levi's, it's Wrangler. Wrangler, that's what it was. Yeah,
3: Wrangler they, is headquartered there, right? Right, so Wrangler's has its headquarters there, I, I learned this. And um, so they do, I think it's more just for the sponsorship and to remind people, I guess. I don't know how many people go in a minor league team <laughs> store and buy Wrangler jeans, exactly. but they, have a, they, they literally have a uh, display pretty prominent when you walk in the team store from the concourse of Wrangler jeans. And it's uh, the Majestic team store, which I realized, or I was told, um, Vanity Fair is headquartered in Greensboro, and Majestic wow. is part of their empire.
1: No so way. So
3: it's what? the Majestic huh. team, score and, team store, and uh, they sell Wrangler jeans. So wow. it's your local Greensboro businesses, I suppose.
1: I can't imagine that it's often, like you said, that somebody buys a pair of jeans, but – in an environment like a minor league ballpark where there are so many opportunities for you to spill something that will never come out of a pair of pants or shorts onto yourself, given the fare at a, a normal ballpark, I feel like that's something that more teams maybe should look into. Like, I know there've been times when I've been out and I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to, I'm going to have to wear these around with all this chili stain on it. And you know, had I had access to Wrangler jeans, maybe a different outcome.
3: Yeah, there you go. If you're uh, a, a- slovenly individual spilling food Such stuff all myself. over yourself yeah go ahead and buy a new pair of jeans at the team store that seems like uh <laughs> the next uh source of revenue the next uh, key source of revenue for the industry for sure
2: and uh ben i think your next stop on the trip after greensboro was durham um specifically for uh star wars night there you wrote a story for the site about it um, but what can you kind of tell us about the experience of being there for a star wars night um, at the Durham Bulls uh, Athletic Park.
3: That oh, was awesome. I mean, uh, as we probably mentioned before, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, so I don't have this kind of like kid-like nostalgia to tap into, as many people do, as, as Sam, as I know you do. But, I mean, they're a, the Bulls are pretty much a firing on all cylinders organization in general, and that certainly came through on Star Wars night. Um, beautiful, you know, 5 o'clock game, beautiful weather, um, full house, you know, totally sold out standing room only um, and characters all around the ballpark. And it was just one of those nights. So the team is really lucky to have maybe four or five times a year where everything goes right. And uh, so it's, it's great to be part of that environment. And um, before the game, I visited a bunch of members of the 501st Legion, you know, the costumed uh, the, the star Wars costuming clubs that exist uh, in different garrisons all around the country. So I talked to members of the Carolina garrison and um talked to them as their civilian selves. I talked to a woman who was dressing up as princess Leia and a guy who was dressing up as Darth Vader. And I found that really interesting getting a sense of, um, who they were, why they dress up and you know, how important their presence is to star Wars nights and not just in Durham, but all over the country.
2: Yeah. And so what else do they kind of do other than just dress up at these things? Are they doing any kind of acts? Is she, you know, going around just saying, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Or what, what do they kind of do or are they just there just kind of as ornaments for the park?
3: Yeah, I think she just wanders through the streets during the day and just says that to people just
1: And hologram uh, for Help me
3: Obi-Wan, yeah. help me Obi-Wan. Yeah, as a hologram. Um been arrested a few times for vagrancy, but you know, that's the price you got to pay for commitment. Um, but no, they uh, they you know, they're really charity oriented for real. Um so most of the 501st Legion events are they have a charitable component as do the minor league promotions. So they do a lot of stuff at children's hospitals and various fundraisers and things like that. You know, most of the time, they're not going to be too into a request for someone's event. If the only component is for them to make money um, for the event itself to make money because they're volunteers. So they're going to volunteer their time and they certainly enjoy doing this, but they want to volunteer their time and say, okay, we volunteered our time. And um, as a result, a worthwhile charity, has more money now. So it's really a win-win situation all around.
1: Ben moved along from uh, Durham, North Carolina to Greenville, South Carolina, and Floor Field, the home of the Greenville Drive, the Class A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. Um, Another really cool town that, you know, if you didn't have occasion to be in the area, you probably wouldn't know, but really, really neat town. I didn't get a chance to go into the ballpark there, but one thing that I love about that park, it's right across the street from Shoeless Joe Jackson's house, which they actually picked up and moved to that area, the west end of Greenville. So if you ever find yourself going to a drive game right across the street, you can go visit shoeless joe jackson's house the shoeless joe jackson museum but that ballpark looks like it's really really well put together and really well maintained too
3: yeah it's a beautiful park and right right in the city downtown um and the downtown itself you know has canals and walkways and little wooded areas it's really an idyllic um you know uh, southern city downtown um pretty cool place to spend some time and i was there on mother's day so it was probably a little more uh packed than usual and obviously a lot more families than usual um and the Shoeless Joe Jackson Museum wasn't open on the day I was in town and it has pretty limited hours in general it's not affiliated with the team itself um but I was in Greenville six years ago and got a tour of the stadium but they didn't even have a game but during that visit six years ago which was my first year of really doing any sort of traveling um I did stop in the the museum and uh Interviewed the woman who runs it. It's really this one woman show. This this one woman who um, is the the brainchild behind it and and keeps it running and keeps it opening. So I'm gonna have to dig that story up and uh, kind of tie it into my current Greenville visit as well because that's a great bit of history to have his actual uh, house that he lived in right across the street from the ballpark and it's packed with memorabilia you know, related to his career.
1: Ben, when you hit a park you haven't seen in a while something like greenville what's the biggest thing you notice as far because minor league ballparks are changing organisms i mean year to year there's always something different there's a you know a new section of, or a section of seats that's been redeveloped let's say or, or a new concession edition or something that's new about it what have you noticed uh, about the ballparks that you've been to before that you've seen now that looks markedly different
3: you know in greenville i didn't notice that much from six years ago i'm sure i missed some things Um, I'll diplomatically say that was a visit where I was a little more arm's length from the front office than usual, so I I didn't get all that much insider info. Um, Durham has gone through a lot of renovations in the five years since I've been there. Um, The concourse is now completely 360 degrees all around, and they have the 42 bar, you know, 42 being the Jackie Robinson reference, because the street that runs parallel down the first baseline uh, to the stadium is Jackie Robinson drive or place it's a jackie robinson street of some kind that runs right by the ballparks so they have the 42 bar and a like 42 playground kids area slash drinking area you know with the cornhole and that kind of stuff um so they've added a lot in durham and that's a beautiful ballpark you know some ballparks that are 20 years old like the one is in durham are starting to show their age a little bit uh in durham you show up and you think this is still uh you know top of the line and uh, Charleston, which I also hadn't been to for five years, and uh, I was there on Monday after Greenville, um, you know, still fundamentally the same, but definitely picked up differences there. Uh, they had what I believe was a fairly new berm area down the right field line with palmetto trees, and it wasn't real grass. It was kind of a spongy, artificial turf kind of thing, and the, uh, the kids really seemed to love running up and down that and bouncing around on that during the game.
2: Yeah, and when it comes to Charleston, uh, we weren't going to quite let – Lead you off the, or leave you off the hook on this one. Uh, the River Dogs tweeted out um, this video of you dancing in a corn costume. Uh, do you want to explain yeah. that one just to give it a little more context than you just on the field uh, dancing as an ear of corn?
3: Well, I'd say that this is probably one of the most beautiful things about minor league baseball is that there really isn't that much more context. <laughs> it, they there really isn't. They do a ribbon dance every day. I don't know if that's a Charleston thing or not you know, where you hold like a stick with a ribbon on it and twirl it around. And they said, do you want to do the ribbon dance? And I said, okay. And then when I showed up at the end of the fifth inning or whatever to get ready, they're like, oh, you're going to be this corn costume and your opponent's in a banana suit. And I was like, okay, um, you know, any specific reason? And they're just like, nah. And I've gotten that so many times, you know, through the years. It's just like, why not? It's a more, it's a funnier visual. So I went out there in a corn costume and danced to, uh, what's that song, that dramatic song, Chariot's, it's got chariots in the title chariots of fire yeah. chariots of fire yeah and um so i tried to get interpretive and tried to like really feel it when i was dancing but i think i was waiting for this climax of, in the music that never came because i wanted to like end uh end my routine with some sort of uh somersault or cartwheel or something that would just be ridiculous and then the music cut off and i was like man all i really did was ride around and be ridiculous meanwhile the banana on the other side of the field and this is unbeknownst to me had done like four cartwheels to start his routine. So then when they did the first base versus third base side, like applause to see who the winner is, I got destroyed because this dude was like an Olympic gymnast in a banana suit dancing (laughs) with a ribbon. And I was just like some idiot who showed up. And it's weird how seriously I take wanting to win these things, and I lost. So I'll get them next time. Ripoff.
1: Um. Elsewhere uh, in South Carolina, the the Carolinas are really like the cradle of minor league baseball. There's a, a team in a ballpark, you know, within a, an hour or two's drive of basically anywhere in those states. And Charleston's a beautiful one, the Joe Joseph P. Riley Park. Uh, and you were in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, last night. That's the the reason for your drive up 501 to Columbia today, uh, the home of the Pelicans. What uh, what was the scene like in uh, in Myrtle last night?
3: Um. Good night. I mean, I have to say that for Monday night in Charleston and Tuesday night in Myrtle beach, they're both getting good crowds. Myrtle beach. I mean, as you know, Tyler from, from working there is a very strange minor league market in that they have to rely on tourists for such a huge portion of the fan base. So they have to kind of market themselves as one more thing to do in a city of things to do for people coming in for like a week or as part of an event. So you don't really get the usual correlation there between day of the week and crowd. It has to do with what's going on in the city and, uh, you know, and also the Saturday to Saturday nature of many vacations in the area and, uh, you know, when their home dates fall within that and how many are available. So, um, really good night in Myrtle Beach, beautiful weather. And, you know, that's a theme of these trips is there is no real theme and that I have to just take each team as it comes and their approach to me and their approach to my visit and uh, just kind of work within that uh, context. And Myrtle Beach was just one of those teams that was just full on. Oh, uh, you know, Ben Hill's coming. Ben's business here. So they told me to show up, you know, at 11 a.m. So I spent all day in Myrtle Beach with this, like, Chamber of Commerce-assisted uh, tour of the city and even went on a helicopter ride and the view. What? Ferris wheel and went on the aquarium and um, did some uh, miniature golf and uh, did all this stuff during the day and then went to the game and they're like, all right, you know, here's what we got for you in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth inning. So it was just like just an explosion of things going on. Uh, so a really action-packed full day in Myrtle Beach and full night in Myrtle Beach. Um, I didn't get a designated eater for Myrtle Beach in the, um, when I put it on my blog post. And um, instead, the team's like, we'll take care of it. They got four fans to be designated eaters, and they gave each of those four fans a different course for four innings with like four or five things each inning. Um, oh. So it was just like ridiculous amounts of food. And then, um, yeah, doing between-inning contest stuff, talking to people around the ballpark, getting tours, singing the seventh inning stretch, um, real full night in Myrtle Beach. And that's a really top-level um, front office, and they really do things right there under the leadership of uh, Milo, Andy Milovich, and a really great place to visit. If you are ever in Myrtle Beach on vacation, I would definitely prioritize it. The Pelicans
1: game. When you uh, came to Myrtle six years ago, and you and I met for the first time, I don't think I gave you that kind of treatment. Now I feel really bad.
3: <laughs> nah, you, but you know what? You treated me with a firm handshake and a smile, and that's all I'm. Ever that's thinking. probably true. It's, you know, yeah, that's all I want. Tyler. Speaking of it's what's changed okay. in
2: ballparks since the last time you've been there,
3: the yeah. absence
2: of Tyler Mon is did, one of.
1: Did they ask about me? <laughs> did they ask? No, you about and me? I
3: tried. No, I tried to tell people about you, and and, and, and instead they were like, like, "What? Yeah. They're like on the list of things we care about. This is literally on the bottom of our list. And I was like, come on. He's a great guy, but I'm sorry, man. You've been totally forgotten. It's just,
1: it's fine. I just wanted to know. (laughs) Uh, Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. You can find him. He is at Ben's Biz there. And the road trip continues. Ben's going to visit one of the newest homes to any team in all minor league baseball. That'll be coming up tonight uh, when you get to Columbia tonight, not uh, the game that you'll be seeing. You'll be seeing a game tomorrow in Columbia, uh, but the home of the Columbia Fireflies which should be really cool. And then the Carolina Mudcats uh, the following day. I would imagine those two will be very different experiences because Carolina in Zebulon, North Carolina, where the Mudcats are located, is one of the most unique. I've actually never been there, but from what I've heard, is one of the most unique surroundings of minor league baseball. It's not really near any big towns or anything like that, Um, but it's also kind of outside of the town where it is located and kind of a strange uh, strange setup. But Columbia, it's like one of the new crown jewels in the South Atlantic League with the Fireflies, so it should be a, a fun next couple of days.
3: I think it will be, and you're right. I think it'll be some pretty distinct contrast in, in, in the overall environments and uh, operating philosophies. But really looking forward to seeing uh, Spirit Communications Park in Columbia, which I think is a pretty cool name as corporate naming rights sponsorships go. Um, Spirit Communications tomorrow, and then, uh, yeah, Zebulon on Friday. And uh, I think the team is in Zebulon because they just, <laughs> it was like the closest reasonable location to get out of durham's uh, territorial limits they're like All right, oh interesting we'll go to, we'll, oh, yeah we'll go we'll, we'll go to zebulon so i'm gonna end there and uh then spend the next couple of weeks preparing for the next trip and trying to make sense of this one and uh trying to get back in routine you know hitting the gym you guys have seen me lately i'm yeah just looking so so good lately. so it's good just so good and um you know I, I need to keep that going um i need to be the best ben's days i can be
1: As always, he is the best Ben's Ben's Biz that we know. I got tongue-tied on it. Uh, Benjamin Hills on Twitter. You can follow him at Ben's Biz, and the blog is chock full of stuff uh, from this road trip and a whole lot else. That's bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, uh, Ben, we'll talk to you when you return from this one and uh, get all set for the next one.
3: Yeah, I'm hitting the 501, and and they haven't forgotten you here in Myrtle Beach, Tyler. There's portions of the 501 that are actually called the Tyler Maughan Memorial (laughs) Expressway, so I'm going to start driving on that.
1: The ones with nothing but potholes and abandoned car carcasses from fires.
3: Hey, just take what you can get, man. They still remember you.
1: (laughs) Talk to you next week, dude. All right, guys. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill for joining us while pulled safely off to the side of the road. Always enjoy getting a chance to talk to Ben. We always, you know, make him sit around for like a half hour at rest stops and gas stations and whatever, but uh sounds like a fun trip. That's such an awesome area for minor league baseball, the Carolinas.
2: Yeah, and it's so concentrated, too. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's still three hours between each stop, but like there's so many different teams that you can see uh, just in those two states alone. And such wide swath of talent, too, between Durham and, you know, your Class A's like Columbia and Greensboro.
1: So go follow Ben on Twitter because he's posting pictures and uh, groundbreaking subversive ballpark jokes of the day and all kinds of fun stuff. He's at Ben's Biz on Twitter. And uh, that's going to send us into uh, our third segment of the day today, which is a fun topic that Sam brought up um, and something that it may be an exercise in futility based on the way reality plays out, but right now is a really fun exercise of futility. Um, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are a team that has been described as not necessarily strong at the minor league <laughs> level. Uh, I believe Keith Law referred to them in his preseason farm system rankings as, over the course of the, the time that he's been doing those rankings, quote, by far the worst system I've ever seen. Um, the Angels, obviously, we had some stories on the Angels from spring training. The Angels very much believe in the guys that they have coming up. But not a whole lot of people outside of that organization do right now. Uh, As of our recording of this, the Angels are 13-19, six and and a half games back in the American League West. And right now, that division looks like it's going to be a race between the Mariners and Rangers. But the A's hang around so often. The Astros, we know how talented the Astros are. At some point, you feel like they're going to make a run. The Angels right now look like the team... That is not only the odd man out in that division, but is constructed very, very poorly to compete uh, anytime soon because of the lack of, of big impact talent at the minor league level and because they've sunk so much money into the major league roster for guys that either are not on the team at all, in the case of somebody like Josh Hamilton, or guys that are not worth the money that you signed them to when you signed them, in the case of somebody like Albert Pujols. So that brings us to the discussion, is Mike Trout available? This has been a topic that's been bandied about a bit in recent weeks, and it is a discussion that if you just ask me for a gut check reaction, I would say absolutely not. But I think there's some legitimacy to that conversation. Uh, The Angels have lost 8-10. They have no prayer of really making a, a run based on reinforcements that are coming up from the system, and you have the game's best talent Uh, Manning center field for you and locked up for a a pretty decent amount of time, but obviously with a massive contract on the horizon at some point in his future. Uh, But right now that's a discussion. And for the angels, I mean, Sam, first of all, just give me kind of your thoughts on that. If you're the angels, do you start entertaining this idea? Because you have a trade chip, you have a piece that could get you started quicker than anything else in the world on a rebuild but it's the best piece in baseball. Do you want to give that up?
2: Yeah, so it, let's let's just say, you know, whatever. G, I'm GM of the Angels, and Mike Trout is there, and you really need to rebuild him. I try to maybe just test Waters on the super secret down low. Like, you never want this getting out that you were potentially even thinking right. about it. Let you know the crazy folks like us think about what kind of package you could get. You don't want that, you know, hitting MLBTradeRumors.com at all, right. Ever. You don't want Trout getting upset, thinking you're ready to ship him out. But you want to see what you could get for him. Um, one of the joke ones I saw out there was, you know, Mike Trout for the entire Detroit Tigers farm system. <laughs> who says no? And I'm and I'm actually gonna say it's the Tigers who say no. Or no, it's the uh, it's the Angels who say no. I don't think there's anybody in the Tiger system would make the uh, Angels say yes. Yes, we do that, um, even if it's you know getting that many numbers. But yeah, that's what we're talking about. You know, it's it's it, Trout could rebuild a system so easily. Um, but what's your goal? Is it to rebuild the farm system? Is it to make the major league team better? Because the major league, you're gonna have to get a lot to make the major league team somehow better if you're trading my Trout. Um, but you're never going to get a better price for him, perhaps, than you are now. Uh, like you said, given his contract situation, he's owed $15.2 million this year, 19.2 in 2017, and $33.2 million per season for 2018, 2019, and 2020. Oh. Which, you know, the way the game is going right now, that might even be a bargain by the time he's there. But that's still a lot of money be, to be playing, paying for one year of Mike Trout um, on a year-by-year ba- basis there. So, yeah, if I'm the Angels, I I maybe test the waters, just get a friend who I know won't leak this information and just see what what the offer he could get me. But uh, I think as we're about to get to here, there's only a few systems that could actually get him what the Angels would probably feel is a fair price for Trout.
1: Let's go for it. Um, What do you think – the odds are, I mean, there is no more than a handful of systems that have even approaching the amount of talent that it would take for a trade like this. But if you had to go out and put together a short list, who's on it?
2: Yeah. So, um, you should point out that baseball prospectus did something similar to what we're doing. So go check out their story as well. I think they got a scouts take on each of these packages. Um, so what I'm looking at is just what systems have that type of talent and the, what the, angels are going to look for back is somebody who can be not necessarily a potential trout because he's a once in a generation talent, but a top five, top 10 prospect, somebody who really can be the cornerstone of a franchise. Um, so now, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, could the nationals trade Lucas Giolito and other pieces maybe, but I don't think they have necessarily the depth. It would be Giolito Turner. And I think after that, there's not anything that would get the angels all that excited. Um, to acquire, you know, to give up Trout that easily, so I think the Nationals get out of it. The Dodgers are certainly interesting if they were willing up to get give up Julio Urias and Jose De Leon, um, so their top two pitching prospects right from the off, and then they would have to probably throw in Verdugo, maybe Bellinger. Uh, yeah, would they make that trade? I, I don't know who would say no on that, but I think the Dodgers are certainly a possibility. Obviously, they have a lot of outfielders right now themselves. Maybe they would have to do some finagling there. But again, saying no to the guy you know, in the same area, the best at his position, I think the Dodgers could somehow make it work. And they, Lord knows they have the money to make that work. Um, I think the Red Sox have certainly the top talent to make that happen. It, I, I would wonder if they could try to—I'm sure Dave Dombrowski would try to talk the Angels into taking only three of Yohan Mankata, Anderson Espinosa, Rafael Devers, and Andrew Benintendi, it would probably take all four. All four would make the Angels a top-ten system automatically. Um, Red Sox might even have to throw in a little extra, but then you're giving up very controllable, very young pieces, uh, You know, all of which who have not played in the majors yet, all of which could be superstars. Um, I, I think the Red Sox system would certainly be one that would perk up the years of the Angels and the Rangers in that similar mold. Um, you know, we've talked about their big three with Joey Gallo, Nomar Mazar, and Lewis Sprinson. Um, then throw in somebody like Dylan Tate. Again, throw in their top four prospects. That might move the needle a little bit. Um, I think they have more question marks than necessary. The Red Sox package does, or even the Dodgers package does. Um, but the Dodgers package, I think, would be particularly interesting because a lot what we're talking right now with the Angels is pitching problems. And you get Urias and De Leon who are two potential really good top-of-the-rotation starters, um, who are, if not ready for the majors, very close to being ready for the majors. And that would – I mean, you're opening up a massive hole in one area to plug up other areas, but that would certainly help the Angels at least a little bit in the near term. And obviously, for the long term, having these guys very controllable. Um, So I think, for me, it comes down to probably the Rangers, the Red Sox, or the Dodgers in – That way that they have the depth of talent and that they have the top talent, uh, or they have the depth of top talent, I should say, combine those two concepts. They have a lot of guys who are ranked very highly, uh, and they're guys who could certainly um, be cornerstones for a franchise.
1: I agree with those three, and I'm going to knock out two of them um, for reasons that are not uh, just baseball talent related. He's not going to the Rangers because we know the Angels certainly don't want to trade him in the division, although Absolutely. they did it with Josh Hamilton, but different situation. You're not trading the best player in baseball. Um, and I don't think that the, the PR hit of keeping him in the Southern California area by sending him to the quote-unquote other Los Angeles team, really the only Los Angeles team, the Dodgers, I don't think that you would do that either. And that was actually touched on and you mentioned the baseball perspective, a story by Christopher Crawford. He actually talked to a front office member uh, of a major league front office that he knows and uh, was basically given all the reasons why a front office would shoot this down if you were the Angels. But the Red Sox thing, that is intriguing. Um, I don't think that it would ever happen, but, uh, you know, I mean, we are currently living in a world where things that you don't think happen are suddenly terrifying realities. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think that that would be on the table. But if a team was able to make a run, the Red Sox have so much top end talent that I think they would be the most realistic suitors in a deal like this. And still, I don't think it would happen. It's just why would you want to if you found the Mona Lisa in your attic, why would you want to get rid of it? Well, maybe that's a different thing because I would rather have the money. But um, you know, if you already have a ton of money, if you're the Angels and you've got the the generation's best talent, um, I don't I don't see anything that would make you want to give that up. What where the Angels have really buried themselves in a problem is the money that they have sunk into other things that are going to prevent them from building around Mike Trout in the years to come. That's the bigger issue,
2: right? And you know, when they traded for angleton simmons and giving up their farm right you know, by giving up sean newcomb and giving Chris up
1: Ellis. like the last two pieces of the farm
2: yeah, yeah. so the, i mean they're very much a team that is major league oriented right now um, and it's not working out at the major league level so you know our minds go to okay replenish the system and work it through that way but Artie moreno we know is pr- probably just going to throw money at the problem again and try to cover up holes so I, I can't imagine they'll try to trade trout they'll just say get us to the offseason and Um, You know, even though Steven Strasburg's off the market, the starting pitcher market isn't looking that great to begin with. Um, You know, just get them to the offseason. They'll spend money somehow and make this work. Um, I I can't imagine them just letting go of Trout and regretting it for probably the rest of their lives.
1: We are, uh, we're not a a podcast that talks about the big leagues, but that Strasburg deal, that definitely throws the offseason into some crazy, there is no top line pitching coming on this offseason.
2: No, there is
1: nobody out there.
2: Yeah, which I think Rich Hill might be the best starting pitcher that's going to be available, which just makes I'm sure his agent is just seeing (laughs) the money. Exactly.
1: That is true. Um, Shohei Otani is not walking through that door, folks. (laughs) <laughs> so and if you have any ideas of who you think would be uh, an interesting suitor for mike trout in the los angeles angels of anaheim send them our way podcast at milb.com or tweet them at us Sam's at sam or milb i'm at tyler mon and uh we'll we'll go through some some more uh discussions maybe off the air about those but uh it is definitely a fun topic i don't think there's any ch- i think there is a snowball's chance um at the equator that this happens but it's weird that we live in a world where it thinks like, man, is Mike Trout on the market where that doesn't sound like the most outlandish thing.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's fun for us. That's the reason we're doing this on the podcast is that it's, it means taking a system that, you know, we've deemed to be not very good right now and trying to replenish it. And that's what we're focused on. I mean, we could take this any number of ways and we could have talked about the Red Sox giving up Mookie Betts or Xander Borogar and stuff, but we're just focusing on prospects and that, that just makes it fun. That's all we're doing here
1: don't worry angels fans we're not we're not shipping them out of town for you um and you know maybe maybe your team's not going to the playoffs this year but you still get to go to the ballpark every night and watch mike trout and that should be enough for uh, the price of admission in its own right um and now the angels are tweeting out outstanding mike trout weather report videos which uh, <laughs> everybody, should, everybody should go find which is just mike trout going it's sunny surrounded by like 30 seconds of graphics saying mike trout weather report um so Don't worry, Angels fans. You still got them for a while, Uh, but uh, a fun topic, nevertheless. We're going to put the finishing touches on episode number 58 of the Show Before the Show podcast uh, right after a brief timeout. Uh, We'll wrap this thing up and send you on to uh, another week in the minor leagues.
0: Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on-demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.tv for details.
1: MILB.TV
0: is your home for
1: all of the best talent in minor league baseball uh, blasted to your computer and mobile device and wherever else you uh, can watch all the best uh, players throughout the minor leagues in the 2016 season. And uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up this weekend and on into the week. Sam, what are you keeping an eye on on TV?
2: Yeah, so the the game I think that will be really interesting for folks to watch uh, is this Saturday, uh, 6 o'clock. Akron is facing off against Harrisburg, and particularly I'd choose that game because Lucas Giolito is slated to start. As we know, he's the uh, top prospect in the game, according to MLB.com's overall rankings. Uh, he's got off to a kind of a rough start. He's 1-2 and two with a 4.74 ERA, uh, 21 strikeouts, and 15 walks in 24 two-thirds innings. Um, so not exactly the start we were hoping out of Giolito. Uh, he might have the best fastball-curveball combination in the game, or at least in the minors. Uh, I shouldn't say in the game, Clayton Kershaw still exists, but uh, (laughs) Lucas Giolito in in the minors. So any start of his is going to be worth watching, even if he is kind of working through some control issues right now. He's coming off his first quality start of the season. Um, He only gave up two earned runs in six innings last time out at Richmond. Um, So he'll be building a little bit of momentum going into this one. And it'll be interesting to see how he goes off against a pretty good Akron lineup that features two good prospects in themselves and Clint Frazier and Bradley Zimmer.
1: I'm going to go on the position player side this week. Ozzie Albee started his A career 1-for-17 for the Gwinnett Braves, but he's really started to get things figured out over the last few days. He's now got hits in five of his last six, multiple hit games in two out of those games, including his first three-hit performance back on May 8th. Uh, and for Ozzie Albies, it's, you knew it wasn't going to take long for him to get things figured out, really starting to get that leveled out at the AAA level. Um, the Gwinnett Braves, his team will be on the road at Pawtucket coming up this weekend where they will take on the Red Sox. So, uh, I'm, I'm watching Ozzie Albies this weekend. Sounds like a fun one.
2: Yeah, no, that will definitely be a good one.
1: And, uh, you can catch games all season long at MILB.tv. Sign up for your subscription there and, uh, watch all the best talent throughout minor league baseball in the 2016 season. That's going to put, uh, the wraps on the 58th edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, you can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com, at Sam Dykstra, MILB, at Tyler Mon. And, uh, also, Give us a rating and a review and a subscription on iTunes if you would be so kind. Wherever else you find your podcasts, uh, we continue to have fun talking with you guys week to week. And uh, send us any questions you got, anything you want to know more about in the minors, and we will do our best to talk about those as we uh, head into almost our sixtieth uh, episode next week, number fifty nine of the Show Before the Show podcast. I can't can't even wrap my mind around sixty. Yeah, gotta we'll be able have to, to come do up
2: something fun for fifty nine. Something that's other than. Uh just put josh hater again we'll, come <laughs> we'll up just talk about,
1: every week now we'll just talk about josh hater going yeah into so episodes. we're two weeks
2: past the josh two Hader. weeks past
1: oh, yeah. the josh hater introduction to the episode um yeah will we'll figure something good out about that he is actually as of right now on my screen as the featured starter tonight for the biloxi shuckers one of our featured games from MLB tv you guys won't be hearing this in time to catch that but he'll be on later on in the week as well, and uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show. We'll talk to you next week for episode number 59 of the Minor League Baseball Podcast.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.